The statistics coming out of my high school are not great. Not academically speaking, or in terms of teams and clubs and the music program they offer there. Those are, are pretty solid. The stats I'm talking about are harder to follow, but they seem to be emerging as a deeply troubling trend. It's a, a line on the graph that is climbing. It's marking the deaths of those who, by all accounts, could still be here. Indiana is among those places particularly hit by the opioid crisis. And it is becoming increasingly common for me to learn that someone I sat next to in calculus or biology has overdosed or has been in an accident that was fueled by substances or has chosen their own end. But it's not just there. It's all across our country, in our cities, right here at home. I was pulled into an opinion piece in the New York Times this week examining this trend. The authors explored the interwoven stories of families and former classmates in their hometown in Oregon. The way they saw that so many people had showed real potential, but then also had so much stacked against them that the tragic ends that followed seemed almost inevitable. They were moving stories, but what really caught my attention was their unpacking of a term that has been used more and more in recent years, deaths of despair. It refers to this whole category of deaths that are on the rise, so much so that this category is contributing to a decreased life expectancy in this country for the first time in generations. This term is a complicated way to frame what's happening, deaths of despair. It's a loaded term, and, and some folks think it focuses too much attention on the individual and not enough on the societal systems that foster this despair. But regardless, it seems that this despair is an epidemic in our time with disastrous consequences. So how are we to respond? What is our way forward as individuals and as a church? Enter John in the wilderness. It is a context so distant to us in nearly every way. And yet, I think these people who flock to him into the wilderness are not so different from us, from our neighbors. They've been worn down by life and are hoping 
for another way. Some of them feel the weight of oppression grinding them down. Others, the burden of wildly unjust economics. Still others wrestle with their own interior demons. They come to listen. Come to see if maybe there's another way. This is the gathering that John invites to come close. Last week we heard Matthew's version of Jesus' baptism. And this Sunday we get it from the Gospel of John. Kinda. Except in this gospel, it's, it's not so much about the baptism. And this person, first and foremost, is not John the Baptist. He comes to us instead as John the witness. He has been baptizing people. Yes, preparing the way. But more than that, at every turn... He's giving witness to the one who is now here. He's pointing to Jesus, saying, look, behold, pay attention. And then he offers his testimony. He shares what he knows, what he has seen, what he has experienced. At the most basic level, John, the witness, testifies to this crowd riddled with despair that there is in fact, hope. God has drawn near, entering into this pain. John the Witness offers this hope not as a pat solution to despair, but as a response to it. This hope does not magically fix the pain, it does not swallow it up, but it can, can create a little bit of room to move around in, enough to step to one side or the other and see from a new angle that there might be another way. This hope ushers in possibility, or at least maybe just the possibility of possibility. This hope insists that despair is not the only and automatic end. It's a risky thing that John does, proclaiming hope in this, gospel, in this God. It wasn't a great plan for his self-preservation. Bearing this kind of witness is inherently vulnerable. It unsettles the powerful. It can cost us. And this is entirely appropriate. If we were hearing this in the Greek, we might say, ah, truth in advertising. Because the word that is translated here in various forms of uh, being a witness, of bearing witness, of testifying, the root for all of them in Greek is martos, as in martyr. This is the way we're called to follow, just like those early disciples. We're not called to get ourselves killed on account of our faith. We're not supposed to throw ourselves to the lions, as the word martyr is so commonly used now. But the deeper root of the word 
to witness this. Yes. We're called to be witnesses to the hope that we have come to know together. We're called to such honest vulnerability, even as much as it is a sacrifice in this time and place. Despair is not transformed in a vacuum. It's not healed alone. I believe it it begins to shift most often when one brave soul steps forward to say, here's where I found some hope. Here's how I have found new life. I am just as broken as the next person. And that's not the last word. It's not our jobs as individuals to create this hope whole cloth, each of us working from scratch on our own. The hope is already here. It exists among us. All we are asked to do is give witness to this hope and live it out. Now, I fully recognize that This can sound like a simplistic response to the epidemic of despair that's taken hold of our country. Just share your hope and everyone will be healed. Of course not. It is far, far more complex than that. It's it's built deep into our systems of economics and health care, of prisons and education and on and on. These systems need help, desperately so. The despair will not be transformed by a thin attempt at evangelizing hope. But some of the way forward may be found in how we embody this good news. Because this this hope This bearing witness to hope as our foundation, it doesn't just have the potential to give that to another. Speaking this truth carries the possibility to change us, to change how we live, what we work for, how we order the world around us. Bearing witness to this hope can anchor us to what is good and true helping us to build that, to be that, here and now. So, for my part, I see this hope in people extending one another second chances, sometimes many times. I see this hope in people respecting the dignity of every human being in the form of sharing their homes or their time or their wealth or their hearts, sharing all this with those who the powerful would scorn and turn away. I see this hope in people turning back towards each other and towards God, choosing the demanding path of reconciliation. I see this hope in people deciding to show up for one another Not just in joy, but also in despair. The challenge 
is that we have to name this hope, vulnerable as it is to do so. We have to utter it out loud, one to another, if we are going to offer it up and live it out. This is the call of John the witness and of Jesus and of the Spirit descending on us even now. And so, friends, where, where have you seen God? Where have you experienced hope? This is our charge, to take stock, to get brave, and to bear witness to this audacious hope.